Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 78. And today we are going to be interviewing Amir T. How are you doing, Amir? Uh, how are you? Um, I've had better days, but it's it's still one of the one, one of the better days I've had in, in a while now. Good. We'll talk um, about that. So let's dive yeah. in here and get the party started, as I say. Let's talk about your childhood and growing up. My childhood. So I grew up in a city called Karachi. It's in Pakistan. Um, as far as I remember, my childhood has been it's pretty good. Um, I had a very strong family. My my parents were pretty much in love throughout their their married life. Still married. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, um, I've always seen them always loving each other, and we actually have a pretty we, have, we had a pretty huge family. Uh, we would have these huge lunches and dinners for like about 30, 40 people. And we were pretty close knit um, until uh, one of my uncles died, uh, who I actually was really close to. And the, then our entire extended family just grew apart. We just separated. They had issues. Just It was like my, my uh, grandfather and my, my uncle kind of held the family together. And once they both died, it was just the entire family just, just disappeared. So the only people that was left was, I. Um, so I have four brothers. Uh, I'm a twin and I have two other brothers. Um, my twin was actually born one and a half pounds. The doctors gave up on him and they said that there's no way to survive. But he made it completely fine. Um, uh, so at the end, it was just my, my, my parents and us four brothers who were left with our family. We would not connect to anybody. Um, was that hard on you with the, the separation? Did that mess with you at all? Um, I, I just I just felt that we lost a big part of people who I used to hang out with. Uh, because growing up, um, so my, my, my parents were extremely um, controlling. Um, let's put it that way. Like, uh, and strict. Um, I also saw a very unhealthy, uh, even though they were loving to each other, but I also saw a very unhealthy dynamics in their relationship. Like I saw a lot of compromise uh, in terms of uh, my mother and my father, like their dynamics of their marriage. So I kind of picked up a lot of traits from them because what I saw of them um, is that one person is always compromising more in the marriage than the other. And one person is always dominating and they would switch roles. Like there would be years where my mom would be the authoritative one. And there would be years my dad was the authoritative one. So it was, it was so weird looking at that. Well, um, did you ever figure out why that was? No, I, I just, I just don't know. I mean, it's just, just, it was just well. weird. I, I just, yeah. So we were dark so in our, in our culture, we can't talk back to our parents. It's just how it is. If, it, if they have said something, it, it is the end. You can't even argue with them. It's just how it is. It's, that's just how I was even brought up. So, I mean, um, I just couldn't ever say anything to them. So I started developing a coping mechanism of just shutting down. Every time they would like have an argument with me or like I would not get my way, I would just shut down. That was just my coping mechanism for them. That's, that's what I developed. And that led on to my marriage. And I, that, I'll, I'll get onto that much, much later on. So my family was pretty good. I mean, um, my father was pretty well off. I mean, uh, I was allowed to do whatever I can, but in my own house, I was not allowed to step out after a certain time. Like after seven o'clock, no way, you can't go out. So I would have like 
15 friends over all the time for like years on years for like 24 hours they didn't they didn't care as long as it's in their house they couldn't care what the hell you're doing i would be smoking pot i would be doing whatever but in the house it's fine not outside the house so it was it was a pretty it was a pretty it was more it was very controlling in certain it was like a it was like this weird control they needed to have over over the, the brothers they just wanted to and know what you were doing at all times it sounds like yeah all the time all the time and um, um so yeah and my my parents were separated for a month in in when i was a kid my dad just one one of these days got up and just flew off to miami i never asked my my mom like why it happened it just kind of got left up in the past it just kind of happened he just got up and left all i knew all i remember was that we had to move from our house and go to one of our aunts and stay there for a month and uh, and when i asked my mom where is dad and she just said that he's gone for a business trip but i knew something was wrong but we never spoke about it but he came back though after a month but we never spoke about it so i mean that's so the you, only you have thing no that idea seen. you have no idea why your dad just picked up for a month and left well i tried to, i tried i tried to like ask my 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 cousins who we kind of drifted apart from uh why it happened and and the gist that i got was that my my dad didn't get along with my mom and they weren't seeing eye to eye but i also felt like there was another girl i, I don't know I, I actually don't know i have no idea i just kind of got left in the past i mean i just never brought it up with them yeah um um so yeah so i mean um so i also picked up the the habit of lying from my mother which is quite weird because she would she would do all these small white lies and i just kind of picked it up and i thought that lying was just natural and it was all right so that kind of got embedded in my brain i will get to that story when it comes to my gambling and why i'm saying this right now um and my mom in the longest time has had a shopping addiction it's just something i've seen so we we would travel as kids when i was like 14 15 till like about 24 to america every year we would leave from pakistan with three suitcases we would come back with 12 <laughs> without fail i am not i i'm not even lying so That's crazy. even yeah, though my I mom so, denies, i mean even, it's even a real thing my mom yeah even though my mom denies it but she's i know in my heart that she's had a, has a has had a gamble uh, has had a shopping addiction and she still does it now she 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 buys antiques all the time so she just can't help herself so i mean it's still there but i mean it's just it's just it's just controlled <laughs> um so yeah so i mean my, that's that was pretty much a bit of my childhood so then i went to high school uh in high school i i met this girl who's my wife right now uh, oh wow we met in class 9 we met in class 9 yeah so this is this is where the story starts we we met in uh, in class in class 9 and i and the first time i met her I, i i just remember so clearly i saw her and i was like this is the girl i want to marry and this is who i want to be with even though she was dating somebody else at that time so when i look back now i've come to realize that my girlfriend back then who's my wife now was my first addiction which is pretty fucked up uh we actually my, we have we have nightly group meetings and we actually have someone where that's their addiction uh she's addicted to people 
so i actually got obsessed by her and i actually got addicted to her i like i remember like she was she was dating somebody else and i would just go down her house and i would just sit there for like 5 5 hours just to make sure to see when the boyfriend would leave the house it was like that kind of addiction it was just so weird um it was just it was just weird anyway so i i met this girl in class 9 we started talking she was dating somebody else um she left for college and i stayed back in pakistan for college so first semester she came back to pakistan is when we started dating um so she left the country now, to go to school she went she went to uh, she went to atlanta for college so oh, in, when in she states? came back yeah, yeah. she 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 right from there Yeah so she's in she was in Agnes Scott she started from there um and she so after the first semester when she came back is when we actually formally started dating and we had a long-term relationship for almost 4 years uh during that time now i didn't understand how how to like make sure that i keep this girl so i kind of enacted what i saw in my parents that to make sure that you have the girl with you is just to keep supplying her with gifts is what i saw my dad do to my mom and vice versa so what i ended up doing was i dropped out of college didn't tell my parents i kept taking the college fees every semester and i kept buying gifts and shipping them off to america to her <laughs> so this was the first thing that i started doing i started this is where my lying kicks in how i developed compulsive lying so i started doing this I started stealing from my mom. I knew where she kept her dollars in this cabinet and I started taking whatever I could possibly take and started blending on our on our maid who worked at the house that she was stealing it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um it was just it was just I mean so then uh I would when she would come back from college every semester my parents would leave me the leave, leave, let me leave the house. I would make sure that every night at 9 o'clock my parents go to sleep i would sneak the car out and i would just go i would just be out till like 2 3 in the morning just gone they wouldn't even know i would climb into my window from my from the back side i'd put up a stair on the back side i would just climb up the stairs and get into my window and go to my bed i would uh-huh. make my bed into a dummy i would break my bed into a dummy like this i'm already sleeping so my mom would open my door and she see i'm sleeping and she leave i mean yeah, i did that for 3 i did that for 3 years straight uh this one time i remember my mom, my my dad gifted my my mom a brand new car i sneaked that car out and i was going to see my my girlfriend and i totaled it i had the worst accident possible and i totaled the car oh. the, the second day that it came obviously my parents didn't say anything because they were like they saw the car and they saw me that nothing i didn't get a scratch i had a bump on my head i still have it it never went away but that was pretty much it anyway so towards the end of uh, the last semester of college me and my girlfriend broke up now what happened was that she just randomly just distanced herself and just completely vanished and um, i didn't know what was happening i was just like what the fuck i mean this person who i've been showering with gifts and who i actually developed over time to completely love uh just vanishes and i find out that she's met this indian guy and she's trying to see that she's trying to see what, how that thing pans out with him and she didn't even tell me i actually found out somebody else and this is where i develop abandonment issues when it comes to her 
it was so weird that um, I just had this, this, this it was just, it's just so weird that, I mean, that, that, that kicked in and then, and later on in my years, because of that, and because it was her, that I developed codependency with her also. I'm going to get, it was just, it was just like a series of events. Anyway, so she, she, she started seeing somebody else. And I was, it was like those, that semester was like, was like one of the most messed up years of my life, um, I remember. But then she came back to Pakistan because her mother asked her to come back. She never stayed in America. How was it? And, um, you said it was one of the worst years of your life. What kind of stuff was happening? Because, because I just didn't know where she was. And you know how somebody just vanishes without even giving you a trace of where they went. And it was like this big void left inside me. Um, I started smoking pot at that time. Um, even though it wasn't much, I was, I was still smoking. And that's how, that's pretty much how that semester went for me because I already dropped out of college. I never told my, this is, then I told them once, when she stopped, when, when I, once she stopped talking to me, I actually came out to my parents and I said, listen, I dropped out of college and finish it. I mean, and that was another conversation and a half <laughs> that went pretty south. Uh, uh, anyway, so yeah, but when, then she came back and she came back and she called me up and she goes, okay, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, it is. It was what it was, but I, I want to get back to you. Obviously, me being me, took a ride back, <laughs> and uh, uh, so my parents always had an issue with this girlfriend of mine. They never got along, and they were like, "That you are never marrying this woman ever." Over our dead boy, till we are alive, you were not marrying her. And in our culture, you need to have our parents' blessing to get married to a girl. It's just how it is. Uh, um, and for everyone listening you're in Pakistan so when you keep referring to your culture just give someone a reference they know what I mean you're a Muslim yes yeah, 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 yeah. so in the Muslim culture basically yeah pretty much so when she came back I tried to like uh, mend my parents my mom and, and her try to get them to meet try to like get them to see eye to eye but there was always friction there was always fighting it just would not stop it was just like never to the end and then there came a point where I remembered that day so clearly that I was so fed up. I just went to her house and I said that I'm just so fed up and I'm done. And I'm just, this is it. I can't do this anymore. So I'm just leaving here. That's, that's how, that's how bad it became. And I remember I was just watching her face when I said that to her that I'm walking out and I can't do this. And I could see that she was like shattered. And, um, and I just, she gave me a tight slap. And I turned around and I just walked off and I did not see her for five years. Wow. And during, yeah. And in those five years, that girl, from what I've heard, what she told me, I mean, it was probably her worst year, she said, because all she would do is pray and, and she's made her life. Like she became extremely successful and she, she would just pray that somehow I come back to her. Anyway, so during those, that, during those five years is where everything got fucked up for me. Mm-hmm. So I blame, I blame my parents for everything because I left her because my parents just couldn't like compromise on certain things. So for three and a half years, I stayed at my parents' house. I did not see them at all. I didn't talk to them. I stayed in my room for three years and I got hooked onto a game called World of Warcraft. It was probably the worst thing of my fucking life because I spent 18 hours a day just playing that fucking game. 
all throughout for three years. I played that game, smoked pot, played that game, smoked pot. During that time, I got introduced to poker. Just for friends, because I used to have like 50, 20 friends at my house and they just bought a bunch of cards and said, let's play poker for like 10 bucks. Just a home game. But because I was already coming from an addictive personality where I was addicted to my wife, then I got addicted to World of Warcraft. Then I, so I've always, even when it comes to songs, like if I want to listen to a song, I like it. I listen it to on repeat for like fucking 200 times. That's how I am. With food, like chocolate, especially chocolate, if I like a chocolate, I will ha- I will binge it for like three months. Like no, I, I know the feeling. It's, you, I, like, I've gotten that where you're kind of focused on one type of food and you just, like you said, eat it every day. But then out of nowhere, you get a new focus for just, some reason. It's just, yeah. So like one, there's like Baskin. So I would have two tubs of Baskin every night for like two months straight without fail every night. Like it was just... So I just developed this weird addictive personality. And then I got introduced to poker. But for my friends, it was just a home game. And for me, it was like, oh, wait a minute. There's money involved. And it seems like a great thing. I mean, what's happening here? During those, this five years, I actually started seeing somebody also. But it was a very platonic relationship. It was purely sexual. And... Um, it was just, um, it was just like a more like a rebound for me to like get this woman out of my head because I was still so in love with her, even throughout those five years. I was just so in love with her. I mean, uh, and my parents saw me sitting in my room for three and a half years, not doing anything, and they couldn't care because they said, "Oh, she's not with that girl. We don't like. So let him just do what he's doing." So they didn't care. They were like, "Let him just waste his life away. It's fine. We don't care." And. Um, So anyways, uh, so then this girl came into my picture. I was with her for a year and a half. And uh, so during that time, the only good thing that I got out of it was that I started working. My dad got me a job, even though I had no degree because I didn't finish it. But he got me a job in a bank as an internship where I ended up working my way up. And I worked there for eight years and I, and, and I ended up becoming a head of treasury over there. Uh, so, so towards the fifth year of not seeing my, my girlfriend, who's my wife now, I was just randomly leaving my house to go to work and she's just crossing my gate right in front of me. And I just look at her and I just go right up to her next to her, right? Because right outside my house is a traffic signal. So I just get out, I saw her next to her, I knock on her window and we started talking and we exchanged numbers and one thing led to another and we are back together. And uh, this was in... uh, uh, I think this was in 2009 is when we started back dating again. And uh, this time I had completely thought about it. I said that I don't care what my parents say. I am going to marry this girl no matter what happens. So in December, November 2010, I got married to her. Now, the man who she thought that she was marrying was not the man I was when I married her. Because in those five years my addiction personality had jumped so much and had become so apparent that she, the values that I had before had completely changed. Anyways, we got married. Um, I started playing poker, but it was very, it was very controlled. It wasn't, it wasn't excessive. Um, so the only 
two excessive things that I did from 2010 to 2012, uh, January was I lost some money, which I didn't have. So I ended up selling my, my wife's gold bangles. And then one time I was in, um, in London and I was playing at the casino and I lost some money. So I ended up swiping my, my wife's debit card and I just blew up her money. And, um, obviously she knew about it, but we had a, we had a big fight in London and she said, this is the last time it's happening. And so there was only two things in two years that I did. So then I, and then I kind of controlled it then. So in first June, 2012 was when my son was born. Um, so after he was born, it was a complicated pregnancy. My wife had to be bedridden for like seven, eight months. Um, during that time I was living at my parents' house, but obviously my, my, my wife and my parents kept fighting all throughout. So we decided to leave my parents' house and get up and get a place of our own. So we moved out. Um, so from, from 2014 to 2012 to 2014 Feb, I was still working at the bank. So in 2014, my wife says to me that, listen, you're working at this bank and um, you're not earning that much money. I make like seven times more than what you do. I have all this money saved up. Why don't you start a business? I was like, okay, sounds like a good idea. I, I actually always wanted to get into the food business. So we ended up thinking of starting a restaurant. So we got another partner. So March, 2014 was the last year that I, I, I worked. I, I quit my job in March, 2014. And my restaurant opened up on March 2015. So from March 2014 to March 2015, I had this lump sum of cash to build this restaurant, um, which I did build, but I also used some of that money to play poker. But during that time, my wife got um, pregnant again. Again, slightly complicated. Um, so during this time, my poker was very small, but it was not that big. So she got pregnant. Um, her delivery was on 1st of December, 2015. 2014, sorry, 2014. December 2014, 1st. I checked her into the hospital on 30th November. I was with her uh, till 3.30 in the morning. And she had a baby heartbeat monitor on her. And the doctor had came in, called all the nurses and told her that, listen, the baby is moving a lot. So this baby monitor will not leave the stomach until the delivery in the morning at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. I left the hospital at 3.30 and I told my wife, listen, I'm really tired because I've been at the restaurant trying to do the stuff before the launch and I'm going to go home and take some rest. A couple of hours, I'll be back at 7. I remember this day so clearly. At 7 o'clock, I get a call from my wife saying that the baby monitor is not on me and I don't feel the baby. So I just rush to the hospital and when I get there, she's already in, in the operation theater for a C-section and the baby died. Sorry um, to hear that. So the doctor, the idiot that she is, decided to take pictures of the baby's cord that was wrapped around the baby's neck because he suffocated and died and just showed them to me. And that image got stuck in my head for the longest time. That sounds so stupid. Why would they? It was just stupid because they didn't want to take any blame on their part. Um, So they just showed me that image and it just got stuck. Um, and then I had to bury my child, a fully grown child, because it was a delivery in the morning. I had to bury my child. Um, something happened after that day. And um, 
I just, I don't know what changed. Anyways, so my restaurant opened up on uh, March for uh, February 7th, 2015. So from February for nine months, I just stayed at the restaurant for like 17 hours just working. Uh, not playing poker at all, actually. Just working. And me and my wife, our communication kind of broke down. I kept telling her, I think we need to see somebody professionally to address that what we've gone through. But she was just so like hellbent strong. No, we don't need to see anybody. Yeah, anyways. After nine months, I started getting this influx of cash because my restaurant's running. It's doing phenomenally well. And I started finding the biggest possible table in, in, in Accord in, in Karachi to start playing poker. And from, I remember this clearly from December 2015 to 6th Jan 2022, when was the last time I played, I just fucking went mental. I borrowed money from friends on false pretenses. I blew up my one child who I fucking love college fund, wiped it clean. I wiped all our savings clean. I wiped my wife's investments clean. I wiped our investments clean. I sold my car. I was in debt. I sold anything to anything possible to everything. Just went through everything. And we addicts are so fucking smart and manipulative. Yep. It's my wife didn't even know till the 6th of March that I was doing anything. She I, had, uh, I remember when I went to rehab, that was one thing like you just mentioned, some of the smartest people I ever met. Like we, we like you said, we were I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to come to this. Uh, yeah. So, um, I had over the years manipulated my wife in such a way that she never went to the ATM once in eight years. Not once, because if she ever did, everything would come out in the open because we had a joint account and she had her own account. So I would always keep cash at the house and I had programmed her in such a way that she never went to the ATM. Um, oh, I never told you this. So I, I was in so much debt that I also ended up selling half my restaurant to cover my poker debt, oh, wow. which my wife had no idea about. I, so, you know, every, and so I also have another partner at my restaurant. So I also fucked a lot of things at my restaurant. Like, so then COVID happened and I was like, fuck, we don't have any savings. I can't tell my wife I have no savings. And the restaurant shut down on, on, in March, 2020, my restaurant shut down. It was like lockdown. And I was like, what the fuck? How are we going to pay rent and, and, and all these bills? So what I started doing was every month you deposit a certain percent of our tax that has to be paid on the restaurant. Instead of depositing it, I kept fucking taking it out and I started fucking using it for my expenses. And I found somebody in the tax authority who was just taking money from me under the table. And he would just not serve us any notice. And that went on for a whole year. Like for a whole year, we I just burned through all the money that was in my restaurant for the tax purposes. And nobody had any idea. My partner had no idea I did that. And my wife had no idea. My wife always thought that we had all this money lying around in our, in our account and we were all good and she's 
my wife has always had an issue with money because she grew up with no money her father was an addict also he he was a, an addict when it comes to politics so he sold his house he sold all his money and gave it to his political party that he was influenced with and he lost everything there so she's seen it at growing up and she had this very big insecurity with money so she always wanted to make sure that she was secure and she did that for herself but she, i burned through everything like every possible security that she had for herself for us as a family and for my kid was all gone so and you know the and you know the the most weirdest thing is that addiction is such a clever disease that it gives you the illusion of freedom when actually it takes you the furthest away from it that might like be one of me, the best things i've heard that might be one of the best things i've heard is a clever disease that's great yeah it's a great way to I describe think, it you know, yeah because you know it gave me it gave me that 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 uh, it gave me that that the the illusion that by playing poker and gambling i'm going to get financial freedom while in actuality it took me and my family the complete opposite way of it it was just and you know i would justify and this is the most fucked up thing i would justify playing and gambling because my wife and me would always argue that i don't make enough money and i would justify gambling saying that my wife wants me to make money and there i was burning through her money it was just it was just such a it was just such a weird thought process it was just it was just so weird and and it was and towards the like in this 8 years so after the after the 6 years i started only gambling i wouldn't even get the high i was just gambling to recover so i got stuck in that cycle where i was just gambling because i wanted to recover what i would i could and just get out and um, i remember so clearly i would i would wake up every day out of bed and i would be like and this darkness this, this heaviness and I, i and i would think that today is the day i'm i'm going to my wife's going to find out and i'm going to fucking kill myself like i've never come close to doing it but that thought would always run through my mind and there was this one time that i actually thought that i was going to do it today but because my my parents had programmed me in such a way because in our in our in our religion also like committing suicide is one of also one of the biggest sins because they say you go straight to hell so i kept saying to myself that i'm already going to hell because i've fucking done this i might as well commit suicide and go to hell anyways so how does it matter so it was i was trying to rationalize it but i just never got down to that point it was just it was just so weird anyway so um uh yeah so then covid happened and um, you know so in covid um i stopped playing for like 8 months and this is where this is where the weird part is uh, i stopped playing for 8 months and uh, so looking back i realized that i stopped playing i was like physically clean from poker but i was mentally not clean it was still in my head so it's so weird because i thought that oh seven months i've not played i will not touch poker again but just when covid started ending again my wife my wife lands a job which would change the trajectory of our family completely and my restaurant opened up again and all of a sudden i have this influx of fucking cash coming up again and i start playing i start gambling from 
exactly where I left off. But in two weeks, I went to almost a hundred times of what I should be gambling at. It became so, it just became such high stakes. It was just ridiculous. Is and I think like giant twenty one to like six giant twenty two. I burned through whatever my wife made. Again, it was just so fucked up. If I had not, I would have recovered whatever I'd lost. I mean, that's that's what I'm talking about. It was just so messed up. Um, but obviously, we are so manipulative. It's just it's just how we are as people. I mean, anyway. So six Jan is when I just stopped playing is because I started having massive anxiety attacks. Like um, I, I stopped sleeping. I would just get up in the middle of the night. I started getting up at three. I just remember that I started praying a lot and uh, I would just pray to God that God, please. I mean, I need to get out of this, this mess. This, this thing that I've done to my family, I need to show me something. What do I do? What do I do? And, um, nothing like i would just not know anything and this one day i remember that i was on my on my prayer mat and i just got up i picked up my phone and my wife was traveling to turkey and because my wife my wife thought that we had all this money so she said that i'm going to turkey i want to go to a shopping spree and when i come back i want to throw a big party for our friends and i'm like fuck where is this money going to come from because i don't have it she thinks we i have it but we don't have it so I end up, I picked up the phone. I end up messaging my wife's best friend's husband. And I message him and I say that, listen, I need uh, this much, this much money. And I'll give it back to you next month. He messaged me back saying, okay, let me think about it. And then I just forgot about it. It was like two weeks, two weeks. It was like about two weeks that passed and I forgot about it. And uh, so my, also I forgot to tell you, my wife developed adult onset asthma, like really bad asthma. So she suffers from that too while she's providing for the family and keeping everything together. Um, so this one day, my wife was having a really bad asthma attack and an inhaler finished. And I had gone to the store. I rushed to the store to get an inhaler. And while I was going to the store, my phone's ringing and she's calling me. And I pick up and I said, listen, I, I know it's pretty bad. I'm just coming. I'm getting it. And she goes to me, listen, I need to ask you something. I'm like, yeah. She goes, did you ask my best friend's husband for money? And for two minutes, I was like blank because I forgot about it. And then I remembered that, fuck, I had messaged him and I completely forgot to follow up with him. So he ended up telling the wife and the wife ended up messaging my wife, asking that, are you guys okay? I mean, you guys, he asked my husband for money. So when she told me this, I just hung up the phone and I'm rushing home. And while I'm rushing home, in my head, I'm making up a lie to say to her to cover up the story. And I made up a lie and a fucking believable lie. So when I got home, I told her that my brother needed money or somebody needed money in, in Dubai because they lived in Dubai. And to transfer money from our account to their account, it takes two weeks. So I was going to ask him to transfer it and then I'll send it to him later. And she actually fucking believed me, which is the most fucked up part. And she believed me and she said, okay, but I still think that you shouldn't have asked him. So we got into a fight kind of and... I was trying to manipulate the whole bloody fight. And she goes, listen, why don't you just go to your parents' house for the day and come back tomorrow? Now, I left in such a hurry that I forgot to leave cash at the house. And because she was fighting with me and she needed money, 
she ended up going to the ATM. And I have saved the picture because she put her card in and she put a very minimal amount, I would say about $20, not even that. And it's said insufficient funds. And then she put our joint saving accounts, debit card in. She did the same thing. And it said insufficient funds. And then she took a picture. I have that image saved because I can, I want to remember for the rest of my life. I have that picture saved. She took the picture of both receipts and sent me a message at the bottom and said, where the fuck is our money? And at that point, I knew that I could not die anymore. And this was it. And then I just... So I guess you could say that was your rock bottom. Oh my God. I mean, I, it was... So I, I, I shut my phone. I was so scared I shut my phone. Um, so she ended up calling my mother a hundred times. And then probably of the hundred times I said, okay, listen, I, now I just need to face this. It is what it is. And I just picked up the phone. And she was... It was... I can't, I can't tell you. She was numb. Like she was not even reactive all she said to me was just tell me what's happened and then i just unloaded my eight years of what the fuck i did to just everything to her and uh and then she just said okay and she hung up and for me i think i laid on the floor for three days straight because i just couldn't get up it was just the worst possible. It was just so, it was so bad. It was just, and just all this emotion and just what I had done to them and what, and my son who's nine years old, like, like it's so fucked up. Like I couldn't, you know, I love my son so much. It's just, he's probably my everything in my, in my life. And this disease just, didn't even see, let me see him and what I did to the money he was saving up for him. Like, it was just so fucked up. Um, and then she decided that, we decided that, um, okay, that I need to go to rehab. And um, she said that I'll be there for you. We'll be doing this together and need to go to rehab for three months. Um, That's amazing that she's there for you. Like, was she like, was no, no, this story gets better. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I said, okay, let's do it. Uh, I'll go. And I checked myself in. And um, I'm there for, I checked myself in, in an in a on-site rehab. And I'm there for um, 12 days. 12 days on the 12th day, on 13th day. Um, the guy from the rehab comes up to my uh, comes up and says that grab your stuff and come down. I'm like what? And I come down and my mother is standing there, and she's like, "Let's go." Uh, I'm like, "Why?" She's like, "Sit in the car and I'll explain it to you." And so I sit in the car and I'm like, "What?" She goes, "Your wife has packed up all your stuff and sent it to our house." And she doesn't want to um, see you during this time. And she needs time to process everything. Um, so I'm like, fuck. Like, I went to this rehab on the pretense that I'm going to get better. And this family will stay intact. And, and, and she'll be there when I get out. 
um and uh, it was not the case anyways um we exchanged a few messages and she said that she doesn't know how to process everything and she's like devastated obviously which is completely understandable because of what a fuck i did and um so then after 3 days i decided that okay um i still need to do this for myself if i still don't have my wife and my care on my side but i still need to do this because i don't want to be ever in a position where i get back to that thing because even though i knew that there was such a there was such a big shift in me after that rock bottom that i just knew that in my heart that i would never want to go back to that position where i feel like that again because i know how i got out of bed every day is just so fucked up it's just so weird it's just um but it was really hard to process that she did that she did that and she just completely sent everything in like bags um off to my parents house but i mean i i i kind of i i kind of understand that we as addicts um we just devastate the people we love around us it's just how it is and we just don't see it until we hit rock bottom and um anyway so then i decided to go back to rehab uh, but i ended up going to a different rehab um so i was there seven days again on site and they did all these evaluations and then they gave me a whole report and they said that listen you don't have a history of self harm and you don't do no drugs you don't do any alcohol so we don't see the reason for you to be on site so they shifted me to off site so i go every morning at 10:30 and i'm there till like 4 o'clock and i do all the the big book and the 12 steps the 12 steps for me has been the most humbling process i think it's just one of the most amazing things for an addict i think um i am on i am on number 9 right now i mean almost finished with 8 and i think i have to make amends with all the people that i have fucked in this process and most weirdest thing is that i mean if you're not if you're not honest to yourself this never work it, it, it this doesn't work it's such an honest program it you just it it won't work if you don't if you're not honest and it's it's the honesty that that gives you the realization of uh not going to relapse for me i i feel like that's what it is um so going back to the assessment yeah so the assessment then i finally came home and i ended up reading it and the assessment said that my iq is 65% better than any of them ever come across <laughs> it was quite it was quite funny um uh, reading that and they said that um you've never come across somebody who's so smart it's so it was so weird just just into that um but looking back at what i did in the 8 years only a smart idiot would be able to pull off what i did because not getting caught and just living that lie you know i sent my wife a video because my wife would over the time ask me to show her the bank balances and I sent her a video of how I would show her her bank balances and she just couldn't fathom how I did it. So I ended up making a video of how I would do it and it was so clever like nobody would ever think about it. It was just 
if I just put my mind to something productive, I have no idea where I'd be right now. It's, it's just how it is. Um, yeah. Um, so, I mean, pretty much um, that's what my story is. I mean, going to rehab, I also realized something. There's a huge stigma around addiction. It's just so bad. Yeah. I mean, people think, people think that addicts have... Uh, it's a character flaw. It's just, it's just, they think that we are people, we are, we are bad people. They don't, people don't realize that addiction is a disease. Like it's, and I feel like everyone's an addict in their own ways. It's just how they manifest it. And for some people, it just manifests in the worst possible way. Um, and I also feel like after being through two rehabs is that we don't have the concept of dual diagnosis here i feel like i had underlying issues which which left me to becoming an addict the way i was like after so i end up uh, getting a clinical psychologist also who i'm seeing and after her assessments she's come to the conclusion that i have been depressed for the last eight years and i have no idea about it and she said that it's one of the reasons why your addiction kept going on for such a long time is is because you've been depressed in certain areas in your life and um, it's just it's it's i don't know about in america but i feel like especially in pakistan generally addiction is has such a big stigma to it that when people look at somebody as an addict it's just like they write you off so me and my so so okay so since me and my wife I have known each other since high school. Me and my wife, <clears throat> when we got married, I kind of like cut off from my core friends and me and my, my wife developed very mutual friends. So when I came out to everybody as an addict and I said, I'm going to rehab, when I came out and I reached out to everybody, everybody, every one of them, you, I tell you, nobody reached out to me because they already picked their sides with my wife. So basically, um, I came out and I had nobody. Um, there was a friend who I made during COVID. So I rarely make friends. This is another thing about addicts, by the way. They, they, I've realized that they, they rarely make friends and they think that people are generally want to be friends with you because they have an agenda, which is just, just so weird. Um, so, but I, I, I end up making this friend in COVID and I just didn't know why I was drawn to him and we ended up spending, so we had a COVID bubble. So he was in my COVID bubble. There was just four people and he was one of them. And we ended up spending the year just living at our house for almost a year when my, everything was shut down. So I became really close to him and I just couldn't understand why I was being so close to him. But when I came out as an addict, he came out to me that he has been an addict for the last 15 years and he's been sober. It was so weird that this guy came into my life at a time where I would need him. And he's been there for me like all throughout. The only person who's been there for me all throughout. Um, so it was, it was really weird uh, just understanding that, um, that, that, uh, that this thing happened. Um, Anyway, so I was saying, yeah, so um, 
uh, yeah, so I lost all those friends because they picked sides. And my wife, obviously, the house that she's living in is the house that we had rented together. She has the car. I have no car. I have no money. And I have no house. I am shuffling between my parents' house and a friend's house. Um, my wife has said that I can't see my son until the end of May. So I can't even see him. Um, uh, because uh, that's when my offside rehab finishes. Um, it's just, um, it's just been a, it's just been a, a, a weird, it's just been weird. I mean, so I actually, so I, I actually saw my wife two days ago, um, um, after 25 days, um, we ended up meeting at, at a cafe just outside of down. And, uh, just before we met, so I have this, this weird coping mechanism where, I start, I start becoming bitter towards people so I can just shut my feelings out. So I had started becoming bitter towards her because she was saying all these things to me. Like she needs a year to like see where this is going and like she needs to see how my recovery is going and whatever. And I just, I just started becoming bitter so I wouldn't feel anything. So I started replying to her in a bitter way. But then I saw her two days ago and the minute I saw her, that that wall just came crashing down and it was, and I was just an emotional wreck. And I'm, I'm so, I was, I was so, um, I was so grateful that she came because she kept saying no. And, and then she just finally agreed to it. And we ended up talking for two and a half hours. And, um, and if she had not come, I, I know that I would just, I would just have become just bitter for the next six, seven months. And that's how I would have coped with everything. But just the fact that she was there is just, I just, was just very humbling. I, I don't think people realize that you need loved ones around you during this time. And I, and I understand how difficult it is for her to, to just, just, because she's, she's firefighting all the mess I left behind. Like, I hadn't paid rent in my house for like 24 months. <laughs> it's, it's, that's a big amount of money. And I mean, it was, it's just the car that I sold to pay off her debt, she thought that I had booked a new car. That car ain't coming back. <laughs> uh, I had a fucking blow into that money. I mean, is. It's just, it's just so much, so much mess. Uh, so yeah, she's like there um, dealing with that. Um, and it's just, yeah. Well, it sounds like it's going the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I'm, I'm, I mean, there's no two ways about it. I, I mean, I have a son with her and I'm going to be fighting for this family and I need to like, do whatever I can, um, take all the necessary steps and finish my rehab, get a job, whatever job I can. I mean, it's just going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough way ahead. Um, have some sort of routine just to show her that, I mean, I'm trying to do whatever I can, but yeah, um, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's it. Oh, so there's, there's one, there's, there's, there's one person I think who I, I actually hurt in this time. So um, 
I'm not going to name who this person is. I mean, he was like a brother to me. Um, this is this is something very fucked up that I did to him. Um, so he was actually my wife's friend, but over the years, me and him uh, got really close. He lives in LA actually, but his mother lives in Pakistan. So he flies in thrice a month, thrice a year, just to check up on his mother because she's very she's very old. But me and him got really close. Like another person who I got really close to in the last two years, and. He actually helped me quite a bit. I, when I was like stuck with money, I would ask him and he would openly give it. And I gave it and I gave the money back to him. And, um, but he was genuinely like, I genuinely like, because me and my brothers have all differed apart. All my, all my real brothers, like we've all differed apart. Uh, we don't even talk anymore, most of us. So he actually stepped in in that, in that, in that thing. Like I actually looked up to him as a brother and he actually looked up to me as a brother. Like his mother... So just a couple of months ago, his mother fell in the bathroom and um, she broke her hip and he was not here. He was in LA. So I ended up taking her mom to the hospital and I was there throughout when she was getting her surgery done because they were not here. And I took care of her for like the seven days until he flew in after finishing a job until he flew in. So, I mean, I literally went out of my way for this, 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 this person and I actually thought that me and him had a very good bond. So he was here on his birthday. This was in Jan, actually. Um, and um, so his mother lives in an apartment, it's a rented apartment. And um, what happened was the landlord knocked at his door, at the guy's door, because he was staying there. And he said that, listen, they went to an argument. And in that argument, the landlord ended up saying to him that, listen, I want you to vacate the apartment. Now, I knew the landlord really well. I knew that if I spoke to him, he would not do it. But when he called me up and he said the landlord saying that he, I need to vacate, what can we do? And at that point, I was such low in cash that I ended up using that situation to my advantage. Now, what I did was I said to him, I lied to him and I said that, listen, and this is his mother living in that apartment, which is so fucked up. And I said to him, listen, there is a way out of it. If you give the 12 months right up front, I'm pretty sure that I can involve a lawyer and he will make sure that you don't vacate. Even though I already spoken to the landlord already and he said that, no, it's fine. He doesn't need to leave. So I ended up taking that money from him because I was in debt. And I lied to him and I said that um, I'm paying your rent off for the entire year. And I just blew through that money. And I told him, because I was like, every month, it's a small amount, I'll keep paying it every month. But anyways, when I came out as an addict and I even started scrutinizing everything, he ended up, I think he ended up speaking to the, to the, to the landlord and the landlord probably ended up telling him that, no, oh, I never vacated you anywhere. I'm taking the rent monthly. So I still haven't spoken to him, but he stopped talking to me. So I'm pretty sure he knows. It's another one of those things on my list that I need to like, make amends with so what i know I've, I've i've like really like completely shattered that relationship also i mean it was a pretty fucked up thing for me to i mean yeah it is what it is yeah but yeah there's a whole list i've made it's it's like five six pages of people yeah. that i need to make amends with. well i mean i'm i'm happy for you that you're doing the work yeah. you know i mean it doesn't matter if you're doing we have our own program or we have 10 steps it doesn't matter if you're doing the alcoholics and narcotics anonymous 12 steps it's 
like you said, it's a real humbling experience. It is. It is. You know, I, um, I would never trade where I am right now with, I literally have like a hundred bucks in my pocket to my name, but I would never trade where I am right now to go back to where I was like, never. I'd rather live poor than live with that darkness and that guilt. And that just, it was just, I don't even know how I survived for that long. I have no idea. I literally at times think that I had like a hand of God. That I got that I got for away with it for like so many years. Well, you're doing the work now, and that's all that matters. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess my I mean, last my last question to you is: Is there anything you want to say to anyone listening or watching as far as advice? Anything you you would tell them? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is what I've learned. I mean, I've learned that you should just go for progress and you shouldn't go for perfection because I've realized that as many forward steps you will take, you will have plenty that will be backwards too. But I don't think you should take those backward steps as failure. I mean, recovery, I don't think recovery is a straight line. It's, it's a, it's, it's the backward steps are all part of recovery. So just keep looking at the steps you're taking forward. But there is, I think, there, there's a message. I, I hope that there, there are loved ones who are, who are also tuning into this, this podcast because I feel like there's a message that a lot of people don't give to the loved ones, like wives, brothers, sisters, whoever is dealing with an addict. I feel like they should just know that at the end of the day, they should just love them for who they are. Whether whether they believe it or not. Just saying that you love somebody. It's a very. Um, I just can't explain it. I mean, I, I, I feel like. Um, like, I, I feel like it kind of eases the person's pain and also the person who received the pain. And it, it kind of creates a way to compensate for the bad feelings that they have towards the person. Because we, because we as addicts, this, we, I, I agree, we deserve a lot of blame. But I feel like it's the blame that creates the addiction and fuels it. And somewhere that cycle needs to break. And I feel like it's the loved ones around the addicts that are going to do it. I mean, that's something that I believe I mean, that's probably it. That's, that's all I want to say. All right, cool. So, yeah, do my little sales pitch now. So, for everyone listening and watching, if you like what you heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe. Check us out on Instagram, Reddit, Twitter. We're all over the place. We also have a Facebook group page where if you go under our events tab, you will see that there are nightly Zoom meetings at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. And all the information will be there as far as the Zoom ID and password. So that's all I have for today. And until next time.